You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to contact the show, you can call us at 844-999-9249. That's 844-999-9249. Or you can email us at letstalktorah at gmail.com. Or, interesting enough, uh, over the last day or two, I'm getting people asking me for questions or advice or help on my LinkedIn account. Just type in Sweet Jacobson, there can't be too many of me, and I'll pop up and I will gladly accept your uh, request. As you can see, we have a little emergency. Um, I cannot find my mug which is okay, but it's even better that I probably have 10 people now running around the studio looking for my mug. And hopefully they will find my mug. If not, we will look for the replacement, which happens to be in my other office. But okay, so much happening. The weather is freezing out there. Last night, bitter cold. But inside our studio, it is nice and toasty warm, right in time for the holiday season. We have Hanukkah coming up next week. I'm hoping to... Uh, Take the family to the East Coast, uh, hang out with my children over the weekend, uh, go to my mom's house for a beautiful Hanukkah party. I hope you all get together with friends and family. It's a great time. It's also a good time if you don't eat enough sugar. Well, it's always good to have the holidays. Um, I brought a box of donuts. I hope everyone is enjoying them, except I found out they already had other boxes of donuts and other cookies, so probably they're all in a sugar high right now, which may be good for the show. We'll have to find out. In any case, we have lots of things happening. Got to talk about Hanukkah. Got to talk about Joseph and his brothers. And we will have an amazing guest after our first break. Um, we have Panina Taylor. Um, she's well-known in the Jewish community, certainly in Israel, for her incredible and unbelievable Jewish journeys. She's the author of two books. We're going to talk about one of them. And all in good time, we'll, we'll see what she's doing right now. She's on tour. Um, I know she was in Houston. She's been in other cities. Right now, I believe she's in Pittsburgh. Um, just talking. She's an inspirational speaker. She's a life coach and all kinds of good stuff. You must hear her story. You will be just blown away. It's, un it's an amazing, amazing story. But let's get into it. Let's dive in for the little time we have in our segment. So Hanukkah is coming up. So we got we to gotta get the story. Everybody knows that, uh, okay, the Greeks invaded, and we beat the Greeks, and we light candles, but let's, let's get more into the story exactly what happened, why we are celebrating, and why we're celebrating through the lighting of the menorah. I was in somebody's house earlier today, um, actually right before the show, an older couple that I study with for about 15, 20 minutes, and um, I always try to get them to ask me questions, uh, but they would rather listen. Um, and she asked me what I do with presents. And presents is something that's interesting to talk about. I don't know if we'll have time. Um, the question is where presents fit into the holiday. 
But one thing is if it brings more peace and more joy and gives us an opportunity to talk about the miracles that took place, then it's all very good. So let's let's get early into the story. And actually, um, when we come back in two weeks from now, after the holidays, um, our guest is uh, is going to talk more about the, the Alexanders and the Talmais and the Antiochuses of the world, but that's in a couple weeks from today. So let's get into the story. So the the this is taking place in the middle of the Second Temple. That's when the Hanukkah story takes place. So we're talking approximately 2,300 years ago. But we're going to go back a little earlier. So between the First and Second Temple, the, the Jewish people were in Babylonia, they were in Persia, and they get permission to rebuild the Second Temple. That was the Persians gave them permission to build the Second Temple. A small amount of Jews go back to Israel. And they build the Second Temple, and uh, there's not so many Jews in the country right now. We certainly don't have an army. Um, we're under Persian rule, and they're letting us live there, and we're happy. But Alexander now comes to the forefront, and he's on his uh, six-year quest to conquer the world. And he's doing a pretty good job. So one of the places he was attacking, he was on his way down to conquer Egypt. Egypt, all those years, was one of the world powers, one of the areas that everybody wanted to conquer. So he must have been battling in some fort, some area he was trying to conquer, um, I guess, in the north part of Israel. And the, the Persians were trying to defend, and, the, and Alexander's army was wiping them out. And Alexander asked for help from the Jews. And we didn't give him the help. And we didn't give him the help because we had promised we, to not help. We had promised the Persians, we're not helping anybody attack you. But it doesn't matter. Alexander did not take to that kindly. And there was a group, they were called the Kutim. Um, they had been uh, transplanted and then they converted. It's a story for another day why they converted. And uh, But they only followed the written law, not the oral law. And they were, were going to Alexander saying, you see, the Jews don't like you. They're rebelling against you. Go wipe out those Jews. Destroy their temple. So Alexander marches with his army, and the, again, there was no way we were going to put up resistance. There weren't that many Jews to begin with, and certainly not to fight. It's not going to happen. So the high priest, whose name was Shimon, uh, he was high priest. He put on the priestly garments, plus he got, I don't know how many, hundreds of other priests to follow him, and they marched through the night with their torches to meet Alexander. Alexander's coming closer, and in the morning— um, they're close enough to see each other. So again, those, those Kutim told Alexander, those are those Jews, go kill those Jews. And Alexander gets closer, and he gets off his horse, and he bows down to this rabbi, this Shimonat Tzaddik. And everybody's like, whoa, this is general, this is emperor, this is Alexander the Great. He's conquering the world. He doesn't bow down to anybody. What's going on? What gives? So he told his advisors or generals, whoever asked, he said, every night before I go to battle, I see a picture of that rabbi. So different versions in the commentaries, exactly what he meant. Did he mean that God just put a picture in his mind and that protected us when they ran into each other? Or a very interesting thought is, again, Alexander was a student of Aristotle. It was important to him. He, he wasn't just conquering the world to have all that territory. He was conquering the world because he wanted to change the world, I guess, in his image. Greek philosophy, um, philosophers, Aristotle, uh, whatever they felt they did that would make the world a better place. 
again, without politics, no different, and tries to show you that democracy is the best way of living, right? We're not looking to conquer the world. We're all looking to say we have the best method of uh, governing, and you should follow us. But again, let's, that's a topic for another day and probably another show. So Alexander says, I'm looking to make people. The world is full of barbarians. I see this holy rabbi, and this is what I want the world to look like. So if this is what I'm fighting for, I'm not going to fight with him. In any case, whatever the reasons were, he tells this rabbi, Shimon HaTzadik, he says, these guys want me to start up with you. You take care of them. And then Alexander says, you know, uh, I'm not going to destroy your temple. I'm not going to destroy your way of life. I see you're, you're a very good person. You're a very spiritual person. But, you know, it would be nice if you would put a statue of me in your temple. That would show real honor. Now, that's a problem. We are not putting statues in our temple. We don't believe in statues, certainly not in the temple. So this Rabbi Shimon said, I have a better idea. How about we show a special way of honoring his majesty, or however, however he referred to Alexander the Great. Every boy that is born this year will be named Alexander. And that way, the name will be remembered in perpetuity. And it is, because Alexander is not really a Jewish name. It's not Chaim, it's not Tzvi, it's not Yankel, it's not Jacob or Isaac or Abraham. It's Alexander. It's a Greek name. I had a friend growing up, his name was Alexander. Um, a, a nickname, or it sort of changed over time, is Sender, is another name that's from Alexander. So that's what happened, and Alexander, for his rule, was actually very good to the Jews. Of course, we should be familiar, Alexander manages to rule for about six years. Not really rule, he was busy conquering. But uh, after six years, he dies. His generals either go to war or split up the areas, and you have the southern kingdom, that's Egypt and Israel, that's the Ptolemy dynasty. You have the, the northern um, uh, kingdom, which is really Syria. I'm not sure how far it spreads out. And there's the third kingdom. That, so the, this northern kingdom was, I believe, was the Antioch, Antiochus dynasty. They're all going to have the same names, all these kings. So the Ptolemy kings, for the most part, were also good to the Jews. When I say good, I'm not saying, of course, everybody wants taxes. Right? Good means that you allow us to live, you allow us to study our Torah, you allow us to, to keep the Sabbath and the holidays and, and circumcision. You, you let us live like Jews. That's what good means. And Talmai did that. There's a story we'll talk about in a couple weeks. Um, a generation or two later, um, Talmai built his um, library in Alexandria, and he wanted a copy of the Torah translated into Greek, and he gets 72 rabbis, he puts them in separate rooms, and they have to all translate, and it's an exact translation, it's miraculous. That's a, a conversation, again, in a couple weeks when we talk about what that Talmai did, we're just trying to put everything in a historical perspective. And, um, and uh, so that was good for a while it lasted. And then the northern king went to war with the southern, ki southern kingdom. And now the northern kingdom has taken over Israel. And these guys do not like that there are people running around that are not acting like Greeks. They wanted everyone to be Greek. That's, we won the battle. You have to be Greeks. So that led to a lot of decrees, terrible decrees. No Torah study, no Sabbath, 
know what's called Rosh Chodesh. The courts were not allowed to declare when the Jewish month or the lunar calendar, when the beginning of the month is. If you don't get to declare when the beginning of the month is, then you don't know when the holiday is. Because the holiday is based Passover, Tabernacles, uh, any holiday, Yom Kippur, even Rosh Hashanah, everything is based on a Jewish calendar. And if we're not gonna, if we're not gonna be able to say when the month starts, then then you can't have a calendar. So they they did that. So the, and that was their goal: no Torah study, no Sabbath, no holidays, no circumcision. The Greeks, right? We know about the Olympics. The Greeks were all into the body. Their body is perfect. Why would you want to put a a blemish on your body? Um, so they they outlawed a lot of stuff and they killed people who did not follow through. So the Jews had to leave the temple area. The, those rabbis, the religious Jews. So the Greeks take over, they pillage it, they let, leave it in ruin, they put their statues there, they break holes. It's interesting. There was a fence, a low fence that went around the whole Temple Mount, and it said that non-Jews couldn't go past a certain point, and the Greeks could not handle that. How could there be an area that we can't go past? So they broke 13 breaks just to show we can go wherever we want. But really, the, the, the priests, they're all packed out of the temple. They're in smaller villages. On the Sabbath, people hid in caves. Um, and again, life was tough. But at least I, it seems in the smaller areas, they were left alone. Till the Greeks, you know, tightened the clamps. And they said, we can't let any of these Jews do anything religious. So there was a city called Modian. And Matisyahu, who is the father of the great Judah Maccabee, that every, at that name people should know, the Maccabees. So, um, so he was in this town, and the Greeks came into town, and they set up an altar, and they said, you have to slaughter a pig to our idol, and they wanted this Matisyahu to slaughter the pig, and he refused, and a, and, a, and a Hellenist, right, a Jewish person who had become Greek said, I'll do it, and Matisyahu became incensed, and he killed him. And he makes a, a declaration, whoever is with God should get behind me. And that's the beginning of the rebellion. Matisio himself does not really live to see the battle. He's already older. Um, he, he puts Judah in charge, but there's five, a total of five brothers. So they're all going to be involved in the battles. And this small guerrilla force... At best, I'm only calling guerrilla force because there weren't too many of them. 5,000, Josephus says. So they start the rebellion. Um, okay, no big deal. A little rebellion. So the, anyways, the Greeks are trying to get rid of these pesky Jews. So they send out an army. What was it? 20,000, 30,000. They figure, how hard could it be to wipe out these, this small group? And, uh, but a miracle happens, and the small um, group of Jews manages to... Well, because God did it, that's not how. They, they, uh, they rout that, that army, that first army that the Greeks sent down, that Antiochus sent down. So he sends a bigger army with a different general. And there's at least three major battles. You're talking 60,000, Josephus says, and 80,000 humongous armies that should be able to just march in and wipe out this small Jewish group of fighters who are a bunch of rabbis, Maybe they look like me. They probably look more holy, a lot more holy. They, you know, long beards, uh, robes, I don't know. 
Whatever, whatever they're supposed to look like. You have to use your imagination. And they are defeating army after army because that's what God wants. God is, cre- is creating miracles that these armies are running for their lives. After about three years of battle, then Judah's, Judah Maccabee's army, Yehuda Maccabee's army is now ready to go up to the Temple Mount. So they go up to the Temple Mount, and there's still there's a, there's a, some type of fort that they have to deal with. They don't conquer right away. And the Temple Mount has been overrun, and its grass is growing through cracks, and the, there's statues and idols. So they got to clean the place up. There's nothing left, right? Anything of value would have been taken by the Greeks, right? There's no gold menorah or a table or anything. All that stuff's been taken out. They got to clean out all the idols. They got to get rid of the altar. They got to build a new altar. They got to clean it up, make, you know, make it pure. And now we get into the part of the miracle of the menorah and the oil. And that is that um, they look around. They, they don't have the regular menorah. They have to make a makeshift uh, menorah, and they find one jar of oil, one jar that's enough for one night, but it's pure. They can tell by where it's been stored. It's not in the regular storage area. It's buried somewhere, and they know it's pure. And because the whole battle was a battle of pure against the impure, that's what they were looking for to show that, uh, that it's God that's been winning this battle, and they, it takes another eight days to get new pure oil, and this lasts for eight days. And already my music is coming on. But the, at least the one thing I wanted to point out is that the main miracle is the battles. We celebrate it. We recognize it through our menorahs. Anyways, here's my music. When we come back from the break, we're going to be joined by Panina Taylor. You do not want to miss her inspirational story. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Torah. And we're going to be right back. Hey, how are you? I'm Gerald Valley, and I want to invite you to listen, watch, share my new show, The Drop-In. It is going to cover skate, music, culture, actually all sports. I have some great guests lined up, and it's to inspire and motivate people to make the most of this life we have. Check out the inspiration, the stoke, and the life of The Drop-In with Daryl Valley. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original Blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. Wait, your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's a horror movie. <laughs> Bury the phone in the fat cemetery. It's got a cord. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to the drop-in today. Then you get off your couch and you make life happen. 
Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. <laughs> I still just love that line. Yeah. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? And we're back. And is she, are we in? Are we good? Yeah, Cole, we're good? Okay, so we are working on connecting with Penina. So before Penina gets on, we'll talk Joseph and his brothers. We, oh, we got her in? Okay, so we are joined by Penina Taylor. She's been known in Jewish community for an incredible and unbelievable Jewish journey. Author, speaker, seminary and yeshiva lecturer, life coach. Oh, it gets longer. She's published two books, Coming Full Circle, A Jewish Woman's Journey Through Christianity and Back, and Scripture Twisting, and is currently working on her third book. Penina, how are you? Thank God I'm so good, and thank you so much for having me today. My pleasure. I'm actually so excited. There's not too many people that I actually go try to interview them. Most people actually contact me. But when I read your story and on LinkedIn, I said, I, I must, I must talk to Panina. I thought it'd be fascinating. So you're in Pittsburgh with the kids? Yes, yes. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here, really. Um, I just finished a three-week speaking tour um, almost all over the United States, and now I'm spending a week with my one set of kids that are here in Pittsburgh. That is nice. And then you go back to Israel. Correct. Beautiful, amazing. Nothing like visiting children, and I hope That's grandchildren. Right. Nothing like it. So before we get into your story, um, just to help everybody out a little bit, who is Penina Taylor? Oh my goodness. Um, you, that's a really good question. Who am I? I'm a Jewish woman who loves Hashem and loves people and wants to spend my life inspiring people. Wow. That was an amazing answer. I love my question, and I love when I get really a beautiful answer. Really, and I think when we talk about your story, and I'll try to break it up part by part, and you'll, you'll help us out as we move along through it, and you'll throw in the things sure. that I'm missing. But I think um, that statement, that you love Hashem and you want to inspire people, is really what, you know, where your life has taken you, and your life has taken you to a lot of places. But let's work through, well, you know, just the younger years we just touch on. Um, I know you wrote you were, you, were, you were like a misfit. You had originally gotten mixed up in the wrong crowd. Your family yeah. life wasn't um, all rosy. Um, can you just, just quickly touch on that so we get a feeling where we're starting? Um, yeah, so I was born into a secular Jewish home, and Judaism really meant absolutely nothing to me. When I'm telling my story in front of an audience, I usually say what it meant was it explained why I had a big nose, why I talked with my hands, and why I like Chinese food. Oh, all the things that I have. Okay, go ahead. Right, right. So, yeah, so it was in that context. My parents were divorced when I was four years old. I was subjected to... Uh, a bit of abuse, not a bit, a lot of abuse by a friend of the family. And, you know, by the time I got to high school, I was just wondering, like, what's the point? 
And so, but in high school, interesting enough, um, you went with some friends to church, a nice Jewish girl, and uh, your friends convinced you to go to church, and uh, I guess your your life takes a, an amazing change. What, what happened? Well, so, yes, yeah, so I w- had reached this point where I was asking these existential questions, you know, like if there's nothing greater and more meaningful than all of this pain and difficulty in life, then what's the point? And I started talking with different kids, and, and a girl in one of my classes came up to me and she said, well, you know, what you need is to have a relationship with God. And, you know, because I didn't give all of the details, but um, what she said really rang true for me, because when I was in fourth and fifth grade, my my paternal grandparents had arranged for me to go to an Orthodox day school for a couple of years, and the community was amazing that they even, you know, agreed to that. So by the time I got to high school, I definitely had had those seeds planted, even though they weren't relevant and and in front of my mind, it was there. So when she said, you need to have a relationship with God, I said, you know, I think you might be right. So, so she convinced you to do what? So wait, so she, she, she started teaching me, um, uh, about uh, Christianity in the New Testament. I'm, I'm not sure about your audience and their sensitivity to the use of certain names, but they won't, you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, you can, you, yeah don't, we're not sensitive around here. We try not to be. Okay. Yeah, so I say, you know, at the age of 16 or almost 16, I was introduced to God and to Jesus because my classmate was a born-again Christian. Okay, so so what did, did that change you? Did you become a better person, whatever better means? Um, because of it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My newfound faith gave me the strength to make all sorts of changes in my life. I stopped drinking, I stopped smoking, I stopped hanging around with a bad, bad crowd of kids at school. I actually started attending classes. And interestingly enough, my mom was watching these changes. And so when I started to share my faith with her, as all good Christians do, um, she thought to herself, well, if something had such a profound effect on my daughter's life, it must be the truth. And so I brought my mom and my sister to Christianity as well. Wow, amazing. And and the word truth we're going to get into. Um, yeah. And you, you didn't just become born again, but you actually, is the word proselytizing? I, I could be using yeah. the wrong word. Yeah. Um, well, after... After high school, I went to a Bible college, and I actually studied evangelism, um, and I was a counselor at several Billy Graham crusades, and yeah. Uh, were you good? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when, I tell my, when I tell the story, you know, I, I talk about later on in the story when I made a decision of what I wanted to do with the rest of my life as far as my um, tikkun, my repair um, I said, you know, I've been responsible for bringing hundreds, if not thousands, of people to Christianity, and um, so I mean, I'm not, I'm not a salesperson in the classic sense. Like, I probably couldn't sell a car, but I'm good at, I guess, inspiring people and getting people to see the need, whatever that need might be. Wow, amazing. Okay, so as we speed along through the early part of life, so you meet yeah. Paul, you get married. Yes. Uh, Paul also had gone to that same Bible college or a similar college? Yeah, he went to a different Bible college. He went to one of the premier missionary training 
colleges in the United States called Moody Bible Institute. So if any of your listeners are from Chicago, they're probably familiar with the students from Moody. Okay. And then and this part would just go that you moved to England and Paul right. has his job, which in the book you don't get too involved in what his, uh, what his uh, job actually was. And you felt like God was sending you messages. What kind of messages were you getting? Well, I just, it was, you know, look, Christians believe very strongly that God still speaks to us in a clear voice, you know, and, and in Judaism we understand that there are no prophets anymore, but but God still speaks into the world, and, and sometimes we accidentally bump into those things, you know, and we get a little bit of uh, um, uh, Ruach HaKodesh, you know, and... A little um, Anyway, so I was praying, and, and I got this feeling that God was telling me to light candles on Friday night. And so I went to my husband, and I said, you know, I really, I have this feeling that God is telling me to light candles on Friday night. And I didn't know where it was coming from because I didn't have an example of it in my home life. But I did go, like I said, to this Jewish day school for two years. So I knew that Jewish women lit candles on Friday night. And so you have to excuse me if I'm speaking choppy. I'm getting a little bit of feedback, but I'm trying to ignore it. Um, So my husband says to me, well, if this is something that you think that God is asking you to do, then go for it, you know, go ahead and do it. And so I started lighting candles on Friday night, and I didn't know how to even make the blessing, but I remembered that I had a Maxwell House Passover Haggadah that I had inherited from my grandmother. <laughs> Yay, and Everyone has Maxwell in the front House. page of that, it had the blessing for lighting candles, because, of course, Passover begins, you know, we, we light candles at the beginning of every holiday, and then the last line says, on Friday night, say this, because sometimes Passover begins on Friday night. And so, yeah, so using this Maxwell House Passover Haggadah, and thank God it had transliteration, so I was able to say the Hebrew blessing with English letters, reading it. And I started lighting candles on Friday night. Meanwhile, I'm going to church on Sunday. And the truth is, and I'm probably using a lot of the wrong terminology, and by the way, if my friends are listening behind, oh, we're doing good? There was feedback. Just see, okay, good, fine. They're working on the feedback. Hopefully it'll fix that. Okay. But anyways, um, you, you have children ready, and again, we won't get into all the details. That's really for the book. Um, right. But as you're, <laughs> as you're raising your children and your husband and you, you're actually doing a lot of things that make you look almost like a regular Orthodox Jew walking down the street. Um, right. The tzitzis and the and the, and the head coverings, and you yourself were covering your hair. Um, why why was that happening? So what happened was, as we, as my husband and I, and and you got this from the book, I'm sure that my husband and I are two people who are always looking for truth, and so as part of that. Um, you know, again, we're skipping some details in the book. There was a progression. I started covering my head because I actually had read a passage in the Christian Bible that talks about head coverings, and um, and when I asked the pastor, you know, what it means, and he was like, well, I think that it means that married women are supposed to cover their head when they pray, and so I started doing that, and, and my husband actually came up to me one day, and he said, you know, I was reading in the Old Testament, which is what non-Jews call our Tanakh, 
And he said, there's something that God told the Jewish people that they're supposed to do forever. And he said, if forever really means forever, and I'm to be right before God, then my Jewish wife and my Jewish children need to do these things. And so I asked him, okay, well, you know, I'm looking for truth here. If God wants me to do something, then I'm going to do it. And he said, well, it says in the Old Testament that Jewish people aren't supposed to eat pork or shellfish. And I was kind of like, okay, um... That means no more ham and cheese sandwiches. <laughs> that would be a problem. And, uh, you know, but he said, well, yeah. And I, I was like, okay, well, I have to think about that. And, you know, and I was like, okay, if this is what God wants me to do, this is what I'm going to do. So at this point, like, Judaism isn't even really entering the screen. The, you know, it's not on the radar. But I'm lighting candles on Friday night. I'm not eating a pork or shellfish. I'm covering my head all the time which, how I got there, you'll have to read the book. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, but something began to happen inside of me, and back then I couldn't have told you what it was, but now looking back I kind of call it my spiritual identity crisis because I believe that my Jewish soul was, at, was in a conflict with my Christian beliefs. And uh, long story short, my parents, meanwhile, who... I don't know. Should I give a spoiler alert here? If you wish. Um, my my parents had been divorced for 15 years, and after I brought um, my mom and my sister to Christianity, um, before Paul and I got married, I had always had this dream that my father would walk me down the aisle when, when I got married. But that wasn't really possible because... I didn't know my dad. I hadn't seen him except one time in 15 years. So I asked my mom if it would be okay to write a letter to my dad to invite him to come visit us. Long story short, um, my mom and my dad ended up getting remarried. And so they ended up actually (laughs) ended up in Pittsburgh. There's no connection with the (laughs) fact that my son is married to a girl from Pittsburgh. It just, that's coincidence. But, um, although I don't believe in any coincidences, but (laughs) you know what I mean? And, uh, so anyway, they had actually discovered, um, Jews, well, Jews for Jesus, but they called them Messianic, called themselves Messianic Jews. And so when I expressed my conflict that I was dealing with because something was going on inside of me, my mom and dad introduced me to this Messianic Judaism, which is a very Jewish form of Jews for Jesus, basically. Okay, so we're again up to the break. You're listening to Panina Taylor, author of Coming Full Circle, Jewish Women's Journey Through Christianity and Back. When we come back from the break, we're going to find... The, the continuation, the amazing continuation of Panina's spiritual journey. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Torah, and we'll be right back. Do you want to see things like this? Did you just say you died? <laughs> well, I mean, technically. Or maybe even something like this. We'll do nothing but destroy your corpses and burn them all for my dogs. Your dogs are gone. And sometimes, a little of this. We need to have a talk. <laughs> I take my axe and I smash it. No! <laughs> and check out Podquesters, the show where we tackle ghoulish goblins, fiendish foes, and dangerous drakes. Oh, like the singer? No, the dragon creature. Oh. Anyways, Podquesters, Fridays, only on NewRadioMedia.com. Welcome back to Who's Got Chutzpah. I'm your host, Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. And are you ready? Andy, uh... what holiday is this associated with? Oh, 
Two count. I'm sorry, that's not the answer we were looking for. Whitney, for the win, can you tell us which holiday is this? I'm I know. Shavuot. No, I'm sorry. I've got the answer. Ta-da! What? My show, Let's Talk Torah, where we talk Torah, holidays, faith, and all the things that help us live our life. That's Let's Talk Torah, Thursdays at 3 p.m. That's pretty good. We see a guy running down to first base, and it's, it turns into a hobble. Get yeah. Umped. I mean, that's the, <laughs> get umped. <laughs> that can't be the same guy. Can't be the same guy. Why are we here? What makes a person truly good? For those answers, you're going to have to take a philosophy class. But if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2D2 and a Dalek, watch Get It to the Geeks. And we're back, and we're talking with Panina Taylor, author of Coming Full Circle, A Jewish Woman's Journey Through Christianity and Back. Panina, are you still there? I am here. Great. So now I have to get to the part that uh, that is, like, just amazing. So <laughs> fast-forwarding, so your, your children are homeschooled, you're looking to move into a house— and you have a house becomes available in an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood. And these Orthodox Jewish neighborhoods, I live in one, are very close knit. And there's almost yes. no such thing as a new person moving in without people knowing all about you, whether you call it Yentish or not. And um, so if you could take us there, why you were moving to this Jewish neighborhood and what the people there were going to do about it. Sure. So we were now had transitioned into the messianic movement, like I said, which is, you know, we looked and acted like Orthodox Jews, even though we still believed in Jesus. We called him Yeshua instead of Jesus. We felt that what we were doing was authentic, even though at the time we didn't realize that it was based on deception, which is an important point to make. And um, we were at an event at the messianic congregation in Baltimore, and after the event, there was food. And this woman was looking at me and seeing that, you know, the, it might be important to me to know that the food that they were serving was kosher. So she's trying to convince me that the food is kosher. And she turns to me and she says to me, how would you like to buy a nice big five-bedroom house in the Upper Park Heights in Baltimore? So Upper Park Heights is the, you know, it's the ultra-Orthodox community. It's the heart of the Orthodox community in Baltimore. And she says, mid-sentence, she says, in fact, I believe that God wants you to buy this house. So, you know, there's a lot of funny stuff that happened in the process, but we decided to go take a look at the house, and we fell in love with it. And then we went back to our Messianic congregation, and we asked them to pray concerning God's will as to whether or not we were to buy this house. And the entire congregation, they had a special prayer meeting for that purpose, and the entire congregation unanimously agreed that it was God's will that we buy this house. Why? Because who better to convert Orthodox Jews to a form of Christianity or to Messianic Judaism than Messianic Jews who look and act like Orthodox Jews? And so with the blessing of our congregation, we moved into the Orthodox community in order to convert Orthodox Jews to 
our form of Christianity. Now, but people already knew who you were when you moved in, or they had no idea? Uh, so that's an interesting question. What happened was this lady um, who owned the house, who was selling the house, she wasn't Jewish, and apparently three years before she had bought the house, she or not three years before she bought it, but three years before she sold it to us, when she bought it, she had taken it upon herself to go knocking door to door to all of her neighbors to inform them, all of her Jewish neighbors, because they were all Jewish, um, to inform them just in case they didn't know that they were all hopelessly lost and going to burn in hell because they didn't believe in Jesus. So when she sold the house and she told them that she had sold the house, everybody was ecstatic, of course, uh, until she told them that a nice messianic family was moving in. Now, I didn't know uh, that she had told them. I didn't know that anybody knew who we were. I didn't find out until almost three years later that she had done this. But, um, so... Okay. Sorry. Yeah, so sorry. I, every once in a while I get a, it, the sound goes out, and I'm not sure uh, if you're trying to say something or not. No, no, I'm so, listening. <laughs> so anyway, so yes, yeah, so we moved in, and, and it was definitely, you know, as, as Jewish people in a Western world, we know how to live next door to non-Jews. That's not a problem. But how do you live next door to Jews? whose sole purpose is to convert you and your children to some form of Christianity, right? Right. Yeah, so, 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 you know, we had a little bit of a cold-shouldered reception, but it wasn't that they were meaning to be rude. They just didn't know what to do with us. But it didn't, it didn't take more than a few seconds, really, for my husband and I to realize that we had a problem, and that was we knew that if we drove on Shabbat to the Messianic congregation that nobody in the community would listen to a thing that we had to say. So we decided that what we would do is on Saturday we would go to one of the more than a dozen um, Orthodox synagogues in walking distance of our house. And and during the week we would go to our Messianic congregation to get our fill of, of Jesus. And so we chose a congregation based on some parameters having to do with my research and learning about Judaism. And um, it was just, it was an absolutely amazing experience. And uh, I, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to speed it ahead a little bit. So yeah. now it's not like you announced, at least when you first showed up at this uh, Orthodox synagogue, that you are Messianic Jews and no. you, you and your husband are playing the part. But Paul just could not handle the fact that you weren't being truthful, which is just amazing. Right. So right. what does he do a few He's weeks a man later? He's tremendous integrity. It's amazing. So what does he do a few weeks later, you and the rabbi? Yeah, so he says to me, uh, we need to tell the rabbi what we believe. And I'm like, I, you know, I don't think that's going to end well. <laughs> but he insisted, <coughs> excuse me, he insisted. And so we invited the rabbi to come speak, you know, speak with us. And he knew that my husband wasn't Jewish, which is a whole other funny story um, about how he, you know, because when a new guy shows up in shul they, looking like a Jew, they give him an aliyah to the Torah. And, uh, but my husband, who's a man of tremendous integrity, said, I'm not Jewish. So we invited the rabbi to come speak to us, and the rabbi knew he wasn't Jewish and knew I was Jewish, and so he thought we were inviting him to come talk about conversion. Um, he didn't realize that we were just trying to tell him that we were believers in Jesus. And so my husband starts telling him what he believes, and the rabbi stops him after a minute, and he says, well, you don't believe that anymore, do you? And... My husband says, yeah. 
And so, of course, you know, the, the rabbi was flabbergasted. He was totally blindsided. And in the moment that it took for shock to register on his face, I began to see my world implode because we just moved into this new community. I was homeschooling my kids. If they kicked us out of the shul, who would my kids play with? Um, maybe they were going to put posters of us on the lamppost going down the street saying, warning, missionaries, I mean. And I just started to cry. And um, so the rabbi turned to me and he said, what do you believe? And I just, you know, and this is where I, I mentioned that, you know, at this point in my story, I had been a Christian for 17 years. I had studied evangelism. I had been responsible for hundreds, if not thousands of people coming to Christianity. And I knew exactly what I believed. But in that moment of emotionality, and really what I think it was, was my neshama, my Jewish soul was, was just shouting to be heard. And I just cried, Rabbi, I don't know what I believe. Please, please don't kick us out of the shul. And uh, so the rabbi was silent for a very long time. In fact, I wondered if he was ever going to say anything to me again. But when he did speak, he said the most important words that anyone has ever said anywhere along my journey. He said to me, you are a Jew no matter what you believe. He said, even though what you believe is not Judaism, let me be clear, it's not kosher, it's not okay, but you're a Jewish woman who is responsible before God to fulfill the commandments that God has given the Jewish people. And therefore, I'm going to let you and the children continue to come to the shul. He said, but there's one caveat. I want you to speak to a guy from an organization called Jews for Judaism. And that is is really, and that's everybody's got to go read the book for that. That's yeah. really where, where your journey takes a turn. And um, and eventually, which is really all amazing, but eventually, and again, you got to read the book. It's uh, I keep writing down what the book is called. It's called Coming Full Circle, Jewish Woman's Journey Through Christianity and Back uh, by uh, Panina Taylor. But you got to see how that rabbi helped you, helped your family. It wasn't such an easy transition, not for you, not for the children. No. Stories where the Girl Scouts are involved. Um, yeah. Even Paul coming along was also something that uh, that had to 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 really move along. But being that I'm I'm pretty much up against it, and I've loved every word you said, but I, I do want to end with a couple things. Um, number one, um, I know you just finished your speaking tour, but if people would ever want to contact you, I know you're a life coach and you, you, you give talks on all kinds of stuff. If people want to either reach out to you and, uh, and, and learn about what you speak about and want to bring you into their town or they want to read your book, um, how can they do that? Yeah, fantastic. Thank you for asking that. Well, first of all, I'm all over the Internet, and they can visit my website, which is PaninaTaylor.com. I have a YouTube channel, so they can watch videos, they can watch my story, which still isn't everything that's in the book, but my email is Penina, P-E-N-I-N-A, at PaninaTaylor.com. Um, I am coming back. I have an invitation for February, the end of February, so I'm going to be back in the United States if anybody would like me to come speak to their community. Um, so far I'm on the East Coast, but I'm willing to travel anywhere. And, um, yeah, so that's the best way is either Panina at PaninaTaylor.com or info at PaninaTaylor.com, and they'll get my assistant, Jackie, who can give them all of the relevant information. Okay, so with about, I don't know, 45 seconds, um, what <laughs> would you like to leave us with? 
Wow, I should have thought about that before you asked. But what I want to leave you with is the fact that you were created for a purpose. God created you because he thought that you needed to be in this world, that the world needed a you in it. And so you have a purpose for being in this world, and it's your job to figure out what that is. And once you do, you will be supremely happy. And if you are a Jewish person who doesn't see your Judaism as something very special to be desired, a treasure that you've been given, then find somebody to help you see that. And if you want to contact me about it, I'm Penina at PaninaTaylor.com, and I'd be happy to talk to you. Penina, thank you so very much. This was so much fun. I learned so much. Thank you. And uh, if you ever manage to make it to Detroit, I will gladly say hello. For sure. I would be happy to make it to Detroit. Penina, enjoy the children. Enjoy the grandchildren. Have a great Shabbos. A happy Hanukkah. Thank you. We'll be in touch. Be well. All right. You too. Thanks. Okay. And here comes my music. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Torah. And we're going to be right back. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's a horror movie. (laughs) Bury the phone in the fat cemetery. It's got a cord. (laughs) What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to the drop-in today. And you get off your couch and you make life happen. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. (laughs) I still just love that line. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? We see a guy running down to first base, and it's, it turns into straight. a hobble. Get yeah. pumped. I mean, that's the, <laughs> get pumped. <laughs> that can't be the same guy. Can't be the same guy. I'm Gerald Valley, and I want to invite you to listen, watch, share my new show, The Drop-In. It is going to cover skate, music, culture, actually all sports. I have some great guests lined up, and it's to inspire and motivate people to make the most of this life we have. Check out the inspiration, the stoke, and the life of The Drop-In with Gerald Valley. I hope you at least got a taste of the journey that Panina was on. Certainly, we couldn't do it justice in our short period of time, but a lot of amazing stuff. Uh, before I get to my letter, I wanted to um, wrap up, because we our first segment, I uh, sort of wrapped it up really fast. Just I wanted to make it clear. So now we have the holiday of Hanukkah coming up. People will light candles every night. The first night, one candle. The second night, two candles. And three, and four, and five to eight. To, uh, to show how the, the oil that was supposed to last for one day burned for eight days, which is a great miracle. But the main miracle of Hanukkah is that we were able to become 
we were able to to learn Torah, to keep the Torah and mitzvahs, to keep the Sabbath, to be Jewish. So that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating that we were allowed to get our spirituality back and we weren't all lost to become Greeks. That's what we're celebrating. We celebrate it through lighting the candles. So again, uh, the bigger miracle is certainly the war, but the candles show how the purity of the Jewish people is what won in the end. So that's, I just wanted to make it clear, we got to know clearly why we have the holiday of Hanukkah. And, but once we got oil, so you got to have oil. You have donuts and latkes. That's like a potato pancake, deep fried in oil. Very crispy, very good. Um, and we spin the dreidel. The dreidel is really a separate uh, conversation. The dreidel was really just a, it's a top. But it was a game they played, so when they were studying and the soldiers would come by, they could pull out their tops and say, we're just playing a game. Okay, but with my little bit of time left, can't forget my word of the week, my letter of the week. So right behind me should be our next letter. It is the letter Vav. It is the sixth letter of the alphabet. It is the numerical value is six. It is a pretty much a straight line. You teach children to write a Vav. It's just a straight line up and down. Um, what's interesting is there's not too many words that actually begin with the letter vav. A vav is like a, it's like means and. When you put it in front of a word, it means and. Um, sometimes it can change the tense of a word. It has other properties. But I did find a word, and the word is vered. A vered is a flower or a rose. And I thought this was a good week. We, we talked to Panina all about spiritual journeys, and, and the idea of a spiritual journey is our spiritual growth. And that's really what happens to a plant, right? We put the seed in the ground, and we watch it, and nothing's happening, and things are happening under the ground, but we don't see it, and it peaks above the ground, and it starts to grow, and it, we water it, and we tend to it, and we nurture it, and eventually... If we have patience, it grows into a beautiful flower. In the case of Verit, it's a rose, but whatever flower or plant, whatever is growing. So that's the word of the week. That's the idea of growth. Uh, that's the idea of a journey, which is what we've been doing a lot of talking about recently. And uh, really the same idea with Hanukkah. It's also spiritual growth that we went from when times were dark. It's a dark time of the year. Certainly the, the nights start early. The day starts late. And it goes from dark, and that's the lights, and it lights us up, and we, we journey, and we grow, and we flourish, and that's what we're looking for. But since I have another, oh, I don't know, some minute or so before I have to get to my story, um, we, we didn't even get to touch on this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion is the beginning of Joseph and the brothers, and this, uh, this forever fighting between the brothers. Um, the brothers are jealous of Joseph. Uh, Jacob doesn't help things by buying Joseph that special coat, which showed that he wasn't supposed to work, and he was the most special, and he had all of Jacob's Torah. So there's a lot of jealousy and issues going on, and we know that uh, Joseph goes to check on his brothers, and the brothers sell him. So it just has one interesting side point to think about. Um, Jacob sends Joseph to go look for his brothers. He goes to look where his father sent him, and the brothers are not there. So it says Joseph is wandering around the field. Now, it says a man met Joseph and told Joseph where his brothers were. So who this man was is very, very debatable amongst the rabbis, the commentaries. 
most want to say it was the, the angel Gabriel that God sent. Um, others say there was just a random person who happened, again, as Panina said before, nothing is happenstance, but a person who met Joseph and happened to know where his brothers were. But no matter how you look at the story, um, obviously he gets to the brothers. Uh, the brothers want to kill him. Ruvain saves Joseph. He has them thrown into the pit. Then the brothers decide to sell Joseph to the to a caravan of Ishmaelites. Joseph ends up in Egypt. He has his own issues and eventually becomes king. And he's able to take care of his family. So when we see the big picture, we know that God was setting everything up. But that's, that is what we need to take from the story. Even this, what would seem to be insignificant, where Joseph is looking for his brothers and he can't find them. So really, he should have turned around and gone home. Instead, whether God sends an angel, whether it's a regular person, in any case, um, God is setting up the story. God wants Joseph down in Egypt. God is going to make Joseph king in Egypt. The brothers think that they're going to kill Joseph when they find him, but that's not what happened, right? What happened was that they wanted to kill him, then he gets saved, then he's sold as a slave, and yeah, he's a slave for a bunch of years. Um, but this was all part of God's plan. And so even that, what you would consider an, an insignificant part of the story is significant because it's showing us that God is pulling the strings to get the story to be where he wants it to be. Okay, so unfortunately, this the story this week is uh, recently in the news with Jersey City, a terrible tragedy where um, there was uh, two, two people that decided that they wanted to go kill, really, really, they wanted to kill children. Um, there's a school in Jersey City for those who are not familiar with the story, but um, there's a like a, it's a it's a it's a small Jewish community. They've just started moving in there because they couldn't afford to live in New York, so they moved to Jersey City. And there's a grocery store and a synagogue and a school. There's 50 children in the school. It's not a big school, and these people wanted to go kill children, Jewish children. Uh, what happened was it seems the synagogue was locked, so they couldn't get into the school. Thank God. And they went next door, and it was a grocery store, and they ended up getting stuck there, and they killed the wife of the owner, and they killed uh, another Jewish person was there, and there was a Mexican that was killed. There were three people killed. There was a shootout for hours. But what's interesting is that the husband of the wife wasn't there. Where was he? So what happens was that somebody came and asked him to buy a cup of coffee. He said, why should you buy a cup of coffee? I could get you coffee for free. Let's walk over to the synagogue and I'll get you a free cup of coffee. So he was busy helping somebody. And while because he was helping somebody, he wasn't in the store when the shooters walked in and they couldn't even uh, get out. And here comes my music. It's been an amazing show. We got to thank a lot of people. Thank you to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I couldn't do it without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team, Kelsey, Angel, Stephen, Cole. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next week, don't forget to think about it.